Welcome to the Battery Technology Podcast, sponsored by Munters, experts in climate control systems for safe, high-quality battery cell production and R&D, delivering stable, low dew point conditions whilst minimising energy use. Episode 11, the role of testing in the development of vehicle battery systems. One of the subjects I've been wanting to cover in this series of podcasts for a while now is the field of testing and instrumentation and standards. How EV batteries can be tested to deduce the performance characteristics of a particular battery system. And furthermore, how testing can be used to inform and accelerate the battery development phase. And to explore this fascinating subject, I'm joined in this particular episode by Don Wright. Now, Don is the VP of Engineering of Unico. Unico are based in the United States and are one of the major providers of test systems for EV powertrains. Well, I am very grateful indeed to be able to welcome Don Wright, who is the VP of Engineering at Unico, based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Unico, if I understand it correctly, very heavily involved in drive and control systems and very much involved in the EV market and quite a few other markets as well. So it'd be good for me, I guess, Don, and to welcome you to the Battery Technology Podcast, just to understand a little bit more about Unico and your origin story, because we've all kind of transitioned from a different industry into this one over the years. Interest to know how you came about doing that. Great. Thank you, Ken. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah. So uh, I guess start with myself a little bit first. So, you know, I grew up in Southeast Michigan. So I've always, my dad worked for Ford for more than 30 years. And so I've always been a a car guy and I was really lucky after, after going to school, getting my engineering degree to be able to work for test equipment supplier um, to test engines and powertrains for really cool vehicles and, and, uh, that are around the world. Uh, that that journey took me to Austria, uh, where I really started my background in in EV testing, so testing electric motors, inverters, battery testing. So I've been around the EV testing space for I guess almost twenty years. I hate dating myself or aging myself, but for twenty years, so it's it's been really exciting. And now my journey brought me here to, like you said, outside Milwaukee, uh, where I'm working for Unico. I'm the vice president of engineering here, and it's really exciting times. Um, Unico has a long history of developing drives. So, you know, power electronics that were controlling electric motors since the late sixties, when it was, uh, when the company was founded and we really gained um, a market dominance in like processing machines, you know, especially in, in machines where you had to have coordinated access of control. So if you can think about like a paper machine where you're trying to control the tension of the paper, you know, as it's being printed, you know, Unico really made a name for itself for this digital control of these electric motors. And then of course, in the eighties, it moved into, you know, test systems for uh, internal combustion engines, especially when emissions started becoming really important. Unico was one of the first companies to use AC dynamometers or active active dynos to return the energy back to the building grid so that you weren't just burning fuel and, and putting that energy into a, a, a load as heat or putting it into water with a water break dyno. 
Um, they also were one of the first companies to develop very high performance uh, drives for the test stand industry where we use torque pulse simulation to simulate the torque pulses of an engine going into a transmission. Uh, this was really popular in Formula One where they wanted to do durability testing on the transmissions. As you can imagine, they wanted to make sure that the transmissions would last the complete race. So we developed test systems with partners to, to do uh, transmission testing. And then, of course, this transition moved into more electrification. So in the mid-2000s, we started providing DC battery simulators onto our dyno products to allow companies that were developing hybrid powertrains, you know, an engine with an electric component, whether that was in the transmission, uh, whether it was a separate electric motor, it then allowed them to test that in their in their test bed. So they could run the engine. They used the battery emulator from the dyno system to provide the DC power to that to that inverter. And then they were testing the hybrid powertrain. And then of course, now as BEVs become more and more popular, a lot of our testing is, you know, pure electric vehicles, you know, extremely high power inverters and electric motors. We all know the electric supercars that are out there, but also the very economical ones. And battery testing is, of course, a critical component of that. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you about all the really interesting things that are going on in the battery testing area. It, you know, it backs up a lot of your previous podcasts that you had where we talked about thermal conditioning. We talk about BMS, the circular economy. So really, there are so many areas that Unico's battery test systems from the cell module up to the pack level can assist the industry in making it a, a completely viable powertrain choice for the future. Well, that's a brilliant introduction to both Unico and your background within that as well. At, at a really basic level, essentially testing is about trying to emulate and simulate real world conditions in a controlled environment where you can extract data from those tests that educates whoever is doing that test on how that system is going to function throughout its lifetimes. Is that what really we're trying to do here? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in the beginning, let's say in the very beginning of battery testing, uh, maybe 15 years ago when I first started, you know, it was really, like you said, I want to understand how this battery is going to perform in different temperatures. I need to, you know, simulate drive profiles, simulate fast charging, although the fast charging today is much different than it was 15 years ago, but simulate fast charging events, um, understanding how long that battery is going to live, you know, you know, the warranty of the vehicle and the warranty of the battery is eight, you know, 10 years for, for some manufacturers, they need to make sure that that battery is going to live for its entire life. And so, you know, the process is, is you test the battery pack, you know, or you can do it on the cell level as well. You, you do a full discharge and then a charge profile to understand what is the capacity of that cell or that battery. And then you cycle it many, many times. And then you do this at different temperatures hot temperatures, cold temperatures. And then periodically you do a capacity test on that battery or that cell. And then you can then chart that over time and understand, okay, after a thousand cycles, I have 97% of the state of health, 97% of the capacity is left. Then after another thousand cycles, maybe it goes down to 94%. And then what they can do, and this was what was so interesting about your BMS uh, conversation, you can put all of this data and all of these things into algorithms that are in the BMS, and it allows then 
the car to tell the customer, hey, this is how much life your battery has left. It can give you accurate range predictions so that when you're driving, you know how far you can go. It, it can look at all of these parameters that you gather, all of this data that you gather during your testing, and then create proper BMS algorithms. I guess the interesting thing about this, and something you touched on earlier, which I think we may talk about a little bit later in a bit more detail, is this concept of the battery life, the totality of the battery life cycle. Of course, as we know in this industry, when a battery leaves its first life as an EV battery, it's far from exhausted. It's still in its in its youth, really, in terms of capacity, if I understand it correctly. And I'm interested in your take on that and how the work you're doing at Unico fits into measuring performance throughout the battery life cycle. Yeah, again, you're 100% correct. So, you know, typically, especially the, you know, the opponents of electric vehicles, they say, oh, after five or 10 years, the battery is dead and you got to throw it away and it's going to end up in a landfill somewhere. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth, you know, actually at the end of what we call its first life, when it's, when it's used in electric vehicle, typically you have about 80% of the battery left. So that means that when you, if you, let's say if you have a small battery in your car and just for the ease of math, you have a hundred mile range at the beginning of, of the, of the vehicle, when you have zero miles on the car, you know, after you drive it for 12, 15 years, that 80% means you can only drive 80 miles with that same battery pack. However, that's considered the end of its first life, but you're completely correct. You can easily take that battery out and use it as an energy storage device to supplement the grid for the neighborhood or for the city. And you can use that battery for another 15 or 20 years in it, in this second life application. And then typically that 80% will come down to 50 or 40%. To a point where it doesn't make sense, you know, the physical size of that battery pack is no longer producing enough energy or storing enough energy for that use, then you would then pull it out and then recycle it. And Unico makes test systems not only to help develop the battery pack for its first life, but we also have customers that buy our test equipment so that they can get a battery pack out of a an older EV or maybe somebody got into an accident, but the battery is still good. You can run a life or a capacity test on that battery, measure the data from the BMS, and then you can understand, ah, okay, this battery pack still has a state of health of 92%. It's really good for a second life application. Let's use it uh, on a hospital or let's use it you know, to, to back up energy storage somewhere. Or they do the test and then they say, oh, this has only got 40% state of charge. Now we need to take it to the recycling center. So then they, you take it to a battery recycler they can then discharge the battery pack, which is also something that we do, then recycle that material, that battery pack, and get like 95 to 98% of the material, the active material that we always say we have to you know, mine all over the world and reuse that to make new battery packs. Fascinating. So just coming back to the work you do in terms of the drives and controls that you put in place in order to emulate these real world conditions. I'm really interested in getting underneath the hood of that. In your systems, are they entirely programmable in the sense of if a, if a particular client wants to emulate a very specific set of circumstances, are they able to do that? Or do your systems come with kind of pre-programmed profiles that they test against? 
Yeah. So th that's also an interesting question. So Unico in and of itself, we, we're not an automation system supplier, but we do have some basic automation platforms that allow customers to use our test equipment to create very basic test runs. So, you know, a typical example is, okay, I'm going to charge a battery pack at 200 amps until it gets to a certain voltage. Then I'm going to switch over. So that's that's typically called constant current. Then you switch over to constant voltage and then you set it to a, another voltage and then this trickles off. So you kind of do a, a typical fast charge profile. Then you would maybe do a discharge either at a constant current down to a certain voltage level, or maybe you do a drive profile. So we have some basic platforms that you can use with our equipment to create test runs, to allow you to do whatever type of basic durability testing, basic research testing that you want to do. However, most of our customers, especially for the bigger battery labs, they need to have a complete infrastructure behind. They also want to control the environment. So they're going to have a climate chamber that they're going to put the batteries in. Maybe they're going to have other auxiliary devices and lots of measurement equipment because they want to instrument that battery pack so that they can gather as much data as possible that they can then use in the BMS development. And they need to have, a let's say, a higher level of automation, higher level of data acquisition, also, you know, a global infrastructure for all of the data to view it, to analyze the data. These are typically tools that we don't provide, but we work with lots of system integrators of all over the industry to provide the complete solution for these customers. I guess also there must be a trade-off between the amount of data you want to collect, you need to collect to, to develop a very clear understanding of the performance characteristics of that battery system and cost. Is there a kind of balance between those two things taking place when people are using these systems? Yeah. So, so typically when you look at the production pack, the pack that you want to actually put into the vehicle, you really want to minimize the number of sensors that you have in there because every sensor costs money. Then you also have to connect that sensor to the battery management system, which also costs money. And you want to reduce that as much as possible. So what happens is, is in the R&D environment, they'll over-instrument the battery pack. So maybe instead of just, you know, for example, one of the batteries I'm very familiar with is the Mustang Mach-E battery. And inside each module, there are three temperature sensors. There's one on each end and then one in the middle. However, there's a bunch of cells in there. And so what a customer would do is during the R&D phase, they would over-instrument that module or over-instrument that pack, and then they would then correlate, okay, all of these temperature sensors are giving me this data, but I can reduce those temperature sensors down to two or three, or maybe even one per module, because I know that under these test conditions, that this temperature sensor is the most important one, and then I can reduce down the sensor count dramatically in the battery pack, but they have to gather all of that data in the R&D phase and they have to gather it over long periods of time. So this is why you really see very large R&D labs being built up because you need to test hundreds or thousands of cells or you need to test you know, multiple battery packs that are completely configured in order to gather all of this data. And you have to do it for long periods because you know batteries need to last 10, 15 years inside of the vehicles. So it's it's really interesting. And I, and I guess that brings me to kind of the validation question. In data, in order to have any real usage, it has to be validated. And I suppose that validation process is one that's really just about doing these cycles over and over and over and over again. 
Yeah, especially when you consider that we're actually on the forefront of technology when it comes to these things. So, you know, after maybe three, four generations of battery packs, you know, we could move some of that or a lot of those activities to the simulation environment where we can create simulations of battery packs. However, today, you know, eventually you're going to have to compare the simulated or the predicted data that you're doing today with what actually happened with the battery pack 10, 12 years from now. Now, of course, there's lots of companies that are working on methodologies to accelerate that because, of course, that's that's the key thing in, in testing. If you can accelerate, let's say, six years of life cycle testing down to six months, that's a tremendous advantage. But at the yeah. end of the day, you still need to validate it with the real data. And this is the really interesting part and, and the reason why you have to have so many different test beds. Thanks for listening to the Battery Technology Podcast. We really appreciate you taking time to do that. And we have many more episodes planned all the way through 2024 and beyond. So I very much hope you will continue on that journey. And if you get a chance to, please subscribe or leave a comment wherever you download the podcast. It really will help other people discover the Battery Technology Podcast. And I'm pleased to say our listenership is growing quickly. If you would like any more information about how to contact us here, all our contact details are available, together with the details of sponsors and contributors, in the show notes which are attached to this episode. So thanks again, and let's carry on with that conversation. Obviously, you've been in this field of, of automotive testing for some time. I mean, where do you see the developments going in this is testing moving in a particular way particular types of technology or particular systems that you've seen over the course of the last few years that maybe gives us a heads up into where where this is moving to in the future currently the the trend is moving to of course higher powered systems um mm. you know bigger battery packs higher voltages higher currents as i mentioned before on your bms development when you try to expand the operating window of the battery pack you need to have higher accuracy systems on the other hand you still need to have a flexible lab that allows you to test you know maybe a 400 volt battery pack for the small electric vehicle that is that that is in your portfolio but then you also need to test the very large battery pack that's going into your big pickup truck that's that's in your portfolio as well so you know we really have a lot of requests for test systems that are modular and flexible, recirculating the energy on the DC bus. So that's after the grid so that we don't have to have huge megawatt feeds coming into the building. And we have technologies also now that allow us to use second life batteries to supplement our test equipment so that if you don't have another battery pack to put the energy into, we can put it into a second life battery, store it. And then the next time you have a big charge event, you pull the energy out of that battery pack instead of pulling it from the grid. But clearly testing can be a, a high energy utilization scenario. So it sounds from what you just described there that you've got systems which reduce the energy consumption of the testing phase. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I even wanted to do the marketing concept of uh, better than 100% efficiency because yeah. I was thinking to myself, hey, if I'm using the energy two or three times for yeah. a charge and discharge profile, that's more than 100% energy efficient. Uh, however, the engineer in me didn't didn't agree with that. So, <laughs> but that that's 100% correct. So if we have a four channel 
battery cycler and you're using two battery packs and you can schedule the test routine, you can discharge one battery pack at 2C and then charge the other one at 2C. And if they have about the same capacity, it's sort of like two cups of water. You're moving the energy back and forth. Of course, if you don't have a second battery pack and you're running some tests or maybe you're having more tests you know, on a charge than discharge, like I said before, we also have some customers that are putting a second life battery pack. We we just operated as a second, another channel on our test system. And then here we can have customers that have huge, substantial second life batteries that you know are in a shipping container. Maybe it's outside of the facility and you can uh, store a significant amount of energy in those battery packs to be able to use, be, to use later for another test routine. One of the things, I guess, in any emergent market where there's a lot of technology development happening all at once is that it's hard to establish a single unified standard. I'm interested in your views in terms of whether there is a unified standard in kind of battery management systems that everybody uses, that everybody's measuring the same thing in the same way, so the results are reliable and dependable and everybody understands them, or is that not the case? Yeah, so I would say it's not the case today. You know, everybody has their secret sauce, let's say, inside their BMS, you know, their algorithms and stuff like this. In my opinion, there, there's three things that are important for standards, especially coming from a consumer perspective. The first of all is I need to have a nice sticker on my car that tells me, hey, this is my charging rate. So I also uh, listen to your podcast with the store.ceo, CEO, mm-hmm. you know. This is how long it takes us to put 100 miles of range or 100 kilometers of range into your vehicle. Is it five minutes? Is it three minutes? Whatever it is. We need to have a standard, and SAE is working on this. We need to have a standard way of denoting that on the sticker. The second thing is range. We need to be able to tell customers, hey, this is how far you're going to be able to go. And we all know the horror stories, whether they're true horror stories or whether it's they're being escalated or amplified about range, you know, going down in the winter and 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 things like this. But we need to have an accurate representation of not only the range when the person buys the vehicle, but when they're using the vehicle as well. It needs to needs to have a proper display that says, "Hey, you're going to be able to get to the next charging station without any problem, don't worry." But finally, when we talk about the circular economy, it would be really great if there was a BMS, let's say a standard set of commands over CAN, kind of like the way we do with OBD2 with vehicles, where we can then plug in a device and then we can get out relevant data from that battery pack. We don't need to know the secret BMS algorithms or anything like that, but there should be a standard that allows us to plug into that battery pack and say, hey, this is the health of the battery. Here's some significant events. This is how many warnings they've had. This is how many high temperature events. So that we can understand what is the value of that battery pack after it's been used in the vehicle. And if you can imagine if you know we just bought a new Chevy Bolt, I think we paid $22,000 after the rebate. You know, If the battery pack is $10,000 of that, the vehicle itself is only $12,000. And if you can say that after the first life, that $10,000 battery pack is actually worth $8,000. That vehicle is now not $22,000. It's $14,000 because that battery pack still has $8,000 of value in it. It changes the game when it comes to affordable EVs for everybody. So from a drives and controls perspective and from a project management perspective and from a client management perspective, what are the kind of things that really keep you awake at night in terms of 
the kind of challenges that are really difficult to do. It'd be interesting to get get some of the kind of thoughts on that side of things. Yeah, if you would have if we would have had this conversation a year ago, I would have said supply chain. But you know, I'm hoping that we're getting a little bit past that. Um, I think so. I th- yeah, I, I think the really interesting challenge for us is, you know, we're really seeing voltages increase and we're seeing more and more requests for 1200 volt systems, 1500 volt systems, 2000 volts. Uh, last week, we delivered our first 3000 volt system. It was 2.1 megawatts and, and 3000 volts. And so these are really substantial energy sources and and you can have lots of discussions with people about oh you know 100 volts is dangerous or 400 volts is dangerous yeah everything is dangerous i i understand that but when you start talking about 2000 3000 volts you know you're getting into medium voltage classes and stuff like this and i i think sometimes i i get worried you know that maybe some of our customers or if you, maybe if you have some startups out there that are just getting into this or maybe there's lots of people on youtube that they're maybe not being safe enough around some of these pieces of equipment or or their battery packs if they're talking about these types of voltage levels. You know, you just kind of wonder, hey, is everybody taking the appropriate precautions to make sure that everybody is safe uh, when they're using, you know, our test equipment to test these big battery packs? That's a really interesting point. Well, obviously, you're in a really interesting position in the context of uh, this conversation, in the sense of you see a lot of the technology firsthand, you see a lot of the EV developments firsthand because you're 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 testing it. Uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on on where the the chemistry of this, the electrochemistry of the whole industry is going. Semi solid state, solid state, different kind of anode cathode systems. Um, what's your what's your what's your view on that in terms of where do you think? Uh, in the next big things are, are happening. Well, my wife is also in this industry, and, and I, I think we scare people at dinner time when we're talking about batteries all the time. That no one or nobody invites us out anymore. But you know, we have lots of discussions about where we think the industry is going, and you know, this is and I'm and I'm happy to be wrong on this case. I I think you know everybody talks about solid state being the next big thing. I think it's really exciting that we're seeing some semi solid state um solutions yep. actually coming to market. Um solid state for me is is really great. It's got a you know uh, let's say a very interesting potential, but I think it's going to be harder to implement on at scale. So building a battery pack with full solid state, you know, true solid state cells, solid mm-hmm. state cells at least the ones that I've from, I'm familiar with um have some significant challenges when you come to the application point. So they need to have a a very high compression. So significant compression on them for them to work. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to, they need to be operating at, at high temperatures. So much higher than room temperatures. So we're talking 70, 80, hundred degrees C, but then they also grow and shrink or expand as they charge and discharge because you know the anode's not there. So and so the challenge really is okay now I need to build a battery pack that can live in a car that's outside in all sorts of weather conditions from super hot to super cold. It has to have a super high compression so it has to be extremely stiff and it has to operate at high temperatures so I need to get that energy from somewhere. And that battery pack needs to shrink and grow 20% every time I charge and discharge the vehicle. And I think that application is a very challenging problem for people to solve. And I, I don't think 
I think that something else will come along, maybe some other chemistry, maybe some other solutions. You know, our next energy in Michigan is doing some really amazing things with, you know, different types of of combined battery uh, chemistries inside of one cell. I think that there's going to be another solution there that will solve a lot of the problems that solid state is supposed to solve without having this huge integration challenge. That has been a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate it, Don. I I thought this would be interesting. One of the things I wanted to talk about on this podcast for quite some time is the application of testing systems. Long may you continue on the good work that you're doing. Great. I really appreciate, again, the invitation. And yeah, thank you. It was really interesting and love to talk to you anytime. Thank you, Don. Thank you. The Battery Technology Podcast is a copyrighted GSE Media Limited production. For more details on how to reach us, you'll find our contact details in the show notes or at our website, www.batterytechnologypodcast.com.